Welcome to the Creation Grounds Podcast, where we break down the success, habits, and the life of people in creative fields, discover how they've gotten to where they are, what they aspire to be, and how you can live your dreams too. Let's get to the show. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is another episode of the Creation Grounds. I am in the dressing room of Theater 80 right now with a legend, Mr. Ali Woods. What's going on, brother? Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. Okay. You're from Texas. That's so, right, Houston. So Houston, Texas. So uh, tell us about your time spent there and what it was like growing up at that particular time that you did. Oh, I guess, uh, well, grew up in a Fourth Ward area called Freedmanstown. Matter of fact, that's my next uh, theatrical project I've got to deal with. Freedmanstown is the area of uh, down near downtown Houston where the freed slaves they first uh, settled in Houston, Texas, and uh, so grew up there. Went to uh, elementary school in that area. Went to Booker T. Washington High School in that area. And then went, then went on to study at Texas Southern University. Got out of there. Taught in the public schools there, and got into theater there, uh, both in uh, high school, which is where I started. And then I continued on to uh, professional theater there in Houston until I came to New York City. To New York. And um, when was the interest in theater developed? Was that in high school? Or? Yeah, it was in high school. What happened is my mother took me to a, a major presentation downtown, which was the, it took place in, in, the, in May of every year. It was the centerpiece of black uh, social activity. Uh, a music hall downtown, about 3,000 seats, was always filled up every year with a high school production from my, my high school, Booker T. Washington. And so I went there and uh, we went upstairs, set up in, in the lot, in the uh, balcony area and I leaned forward, first time I'd ever been to a play, leaned forward and I, it looked like I was looking down on a dollhouse. I just simply saw people just moving about, full set, and everything was very professional looking. And I simply said to myself, this is the most wonderful thing. And I just said to myself, well, when this is May, I said, well, coming in September, I'm going to sign up for that uh, drama department, take a class there. And away I went. Oh, away you went. <laughs> and what was the first production you ever did from there? I did something called The uh, the Great Sebastians. That was a little one-act play. But the first major uh, show I did, which was at that same music hall, I performed there twice. I played an old melodrama called East Land, and I played a military officer, a court officer, Captain Francis Levinson of His Majesty's Forces, okay. and all that kind of thing. So I had a good time with that. time I came out on stage and I got to the applause because people knew me, knew me, some of my friends and everything else, I said, well, this is it. Yeah. And then um, from SMU, you went to... No, 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 not SMU, TSU. Oh, TSU. Don't yeah. get it. Get yeah, it right. Get it right. Get SMU it right. is in Dallas. <laughs> it's in Dallas. Oh. Houston. Yeah. So when you decided to come to New York, um, when you got here, who was the inspiration to you? Was there an inspiration? Anybody mentor you at all? I came up here first and because uh, I, I had done my first professional work at the uh, professional theater company in Houston, the Alley Theater. And I said, well, let me just let me try in New York. I had loads of recommendation from the, the white actors. And it came up, and I couldn't get arrested. I went everywhere, so forth and so on. The first, the first, the first, the, first, the actual first job I did was not too far from here, Cooper Union. Huh. Cooper Union so forth up the street here from the theater and uh, got into a play. And I almost didn't get into it because uh, I went for an audition for this play. And I got... I'm from Houston, Texas, and we don't have much patience, you know, the Texans and so forth. And we were waiting around, waiting around, a uh, uh, room full of people, 
guys said, well, I, I jumped up and got mad, started fussing and carrying on. It got, got all loud. No, this is in New York City. It got all loud. And then I was about to leave. Uh-huh. And then the, the person in charge, charge of, uh, you know, did, came out and grabbed me, grabbed me by both shoulders. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, 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 you, you, you're just what we need. He, 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 my anger, my real anger, apparently what they didn't need for the show, and I was hired on the spot. Wow, you were and, and, and that kind of thing. So, and then I hung around for a little while, couldn't get arrested, and I got a job at the New York City Opera in the chorus. I played, played, played a slave, and I said I had enough of that. It came back to Houston, then saw a notice in the Houston papers, the founding of a black theater company, which happened to be the Negro Ensemble Company. I called up here. Well, time uh, I just got the number from information. At that time, you could get information, mm-hmm. and who should answer the phone at that time was someone who's gone on now to uh, fairly great acclaim, uh, Denise Nicholas. Wow! And she was working as secretary, and uh, she, she gave me the information. I shot up here on a plane for an afternoon, auditioned for Douglas Ten Awards, ran into Moses Dunn. If, you, if people remember him from yeah. the Gangster in Shaft. <laughs> and uh, he and I went to the same uh, graduate school. Wow. And then I was called to say, hey, I had made the cut. So I flew back and I've been here ever since. And what year was that? Oh, what are we talking about? We're talking about 1967. Uh, that, so that was the origins of NEC. So, That's right. Um, any early NEC stories that you want to share? We all know that NEC has birthed many great talents um, from Denzel Washington to Felicia Rashad to Samuel mm-hmm. Jackson to um John Carlo Espinito and the list goes on and on and on um anything that you want to share that you feel comfortable with either from you directing Denzel and casting him Adolf Caesar interactions with him Sam L backstage moments or special convos well let me go back uh, uh let me correct something because so many so many people have the un- have the uh, idea the understanding I should say mm-hmm. that the Negro and Summer Company started with the Denzel generation is the, the generation of Sam uh, Jackson, Denzel, Felicia Swords, but the, the the original company started uh, on 67. We're talking about Denise Nicholas, we're talking about Rosalind Cash, we're talking about uh, Clarice Warfare. Taylor. Then about Clarice Taylor who played m- m- Mother, uh, Mother, what is it, uh, Hustable in, in series and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moses Don, of course, was the, the Shaft gangster, and this kind of thing. You had a th- 13 members who were uh, the original group of which I was one, Arthur French, Norman Bush, David Downing, and on and on and on it went. The, uh, it was tremendous. As I've talked to some of the people who were there at the time, we say, you had to be there because uh, every night was like an opening night. That sometimes later on when people do plays and, and you're in a long run, so you sort of phone it in. You don't feel like it that day. So mm-hmm. you, or you'll hold off until the weekend when the weekend crowd comes. You couldn't do that. Because every night you look out there, you might have a representative from Clint Eastwood, wow. from Sidney Lumet, and they would hire you. I mean, Clarice Taylor got two two films off of this, uh, behind this, and uh, that's the role in this kind of thing. So you had to be on target to bring your A game every night. And uh, I suppose we went on tours. We had, had American tours, we had European tours, and if you talk to any of the original people. The one story that everybody would come up who went on that tour was the incident that we had in London in which during the course of performing a play, anti-apartheid play called uh, Song of the Lusitanian Bogey, the, uh, the matinee performance was stopped. Uh, full house at the uh, home of the Royal Shakespeare Company, who was our host. 
uh, how Hitler was screamed out in the audience. Wow. And it stopped us on stage. And uh, I think uh, Rosin Cash was down front. We, Some of us were in the back. I was on stage. We yelled at her to keep going, but she couldn't keep going. So they ran the curtain down. Everybody was just uh, upset, particularly the, uh, the women in the cast. And what we're going to do? What happened is that some uh, skinheads, the skinheads of Britain, mm -hmm. who did not like what the play was about, had managed to get into the theater and so forth, and they stood up. We were waiting until the, the British police would come. They took their own good time, seemingly, to get there. <laughs> and then later on, we had a performance at night. And we said, what's going to happen? And I was concerned because I had the first individual uh, role in Remarks, and I, I was spotlit. Mm -hmm. Spotted with a top hat and everything else and so forth, and I said I could very well be shot. So when we got there, we ran into this. We ran into a double uh, display. We uh, we had protesters surrounding the the, uh, the skinhead protesters. They were circling each other, counter blocking. So we had to walk among them to get inside of the theater and all that kind of thing. So that was the. The one story that everybody, if you talk to in the original company who went on that trip, we talk about, we went on from there, from, from London to Rome. We, uh, we toured the United States. We went to um, uh, it, uh, Pennsylvania. We went to Atlanta, uh, performed at, at, at Spelman. And then we went out to Los Angeles. It, it, people, people don't realize that there were other black theater companies at that time, perhaps of equal stature in, in uh, Los Angeles, you had the Inner City Repertory Theater. At that time, it was headed by Lou Gossett. Lou Gossett Jr. was one of the one of the, the main actors in there. Officer and gentleman, right? Yeah, yes, uh, yes. And in New York, you had the, uh, the New Lafayette Theater up in Harlem, uh, with uh, Roscoe Orman, who people may see on uh, Sesame Street as Gordon. Mm -hmm. uh, they had that company. Wow, and um. So you've worked, you've worked with many legends going all the way back and you toured the world. Um, I believe that you worked on a lot of August Wilson plays as well. And you've had the great blessing of working and meeting him personally. Um, what was he like in the room and what will you take the most from him in terms of learning or anything that you'd like to share? There's a term that's used now, just came up just recently in the past year or so. It's something called the Wilsonian Actor, which refers to... Uh, black actors who have been in multiple productions of his plays. Not just uh, some of his plays, but multiple productions of each one. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm one of those. I think I've done about 11 of these things uh, out of some seven plays. I think I met up with uh, August when he was uh, he was auditioning for, I think, I don't know if it was, no, it was, I don't know if it was Radio Golf or Two Trains Running or something. And uh, I, I stepped into the room and the room was full of Every black character actor in New York City, perhaps, was in that room. I said, yeah, but you go in there, if you've been in the business long enough, you don't sit to yourself when you see something like that, you haven't got a chance. But you say, you got a good chance than anybody else mm -hmm. uh, because they, they called you in. And we, and we all know any one of us could do it. So it gets down to apples and oranges, right. peaches and pears. He came running out because he, he's rewriting as he spoke and so forth because he just got so excited. I'm talking about August Wilson, so excited by what the actors were bringing to it, more than what he had written. He was writing on the spot, and he'd come come running out with some with some new monologues that we had not prepared. What is this? And uh, we had to get that ready because he wanted to hear that. And he'd come out and write some more. 
right there on the spot and this kind of thing. And uh, it, was, it was like that. The next time I saw him was at the Edison Hotel where he tended to stay uh, when he came to New York City, which is, I think it's on 47th Street, I believe, or somewhere in there. He was, he was having dinner with his uh, wife and daughter and uh, didn't speak to him then, but suddenly I spoke to him at, the, at that audition piece and so forth and had a conversation and met up, met up with his sister because I played two trains running in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And that was something to do his play in Pittsburgh, to go up to go up there into the Hill District to the restaurant which served as the prototype for the restaurant and two trains running wow. to the guy who owned the place who who, who hired Denzel, uh, uh, hired August all those years ago fired him all those years ago told us why he fired him and also the waitress in that restaurant who served as a prototype for the waitress in the play. Wow, we all went up there and, and bought bought him out, sold food. Yeah, yeah. So kind of thing. that's incredible, man. Um, let's talk about legacy because we're getting some some dope, fascinating <laughs> things, man. Um, you, you're cemented as a pioneer for American theater. Who called me a pioneer? That that's me. That's the, <laughs> you heard it here first, man. I'm, or let me let me just say to to, to me, or I think people. In my, all right, in my, all right. You're but somebody that we, you know, you. you whatever are, you say. You're a legend, man. So you're in African American theater, and I think. Um, your picture might even be in African American Theater Museum or the museum down in Washington D.C. Okay. as part of the Negro Ensemble Company. I haven't been, but I've heard. Okay. Um, so you've directed and performed with legends Denzel, um, his Malcolm X play, which led to the film. You've worked with Malcolm, um, August Wilson, Felicia Rashad, mm -hmm. and many others who are still doing great work in theater, TV, and film. From your observation, working with arguably the best that have done it. Um, is there something that they do that separates them from others uh, or what makes them special? Interesting about Denzel um, because we did a, a play called When the Chickens Came Home to Roost uh, in which he played Malcolm X and uh, I must mention the, another uh, actor who's since passed on Kurt Kirksey, one of the great soldiers of, of the Black Theater who, who came from LA and played Elijah Muhammad and the uh, thing is uh, when I, I was holding auditions and I was getting, thing is, I had this thing, this producer in which uh, if I left up to, up to the producer, Denzel in his mind was fourth choice. I went against the producer and, uh, uh, and when, when Denzel came into auditions with me because I was getting kind of nervous with my assistant and said, we're not getting enough young men in that age range and so forth and so on. And one reason why we weren't getting rid of them, because even in, in this city, in that day and age and time, and even now, there still seems to be this this, this split uh, between the so-called Malcolm followers and the and Muhammad followers and so forth and so on. Some, some guy just didn't want to come and audition for this. Mm -hmm. And I was getting nervous. They said, well, how would I cast this thing? Uh, Elijah character was already cast. But when he came in uh, and he did the scene, the air seemed to change. And I had my arms folded, and I turned my swivel head just slowly and looked at my assistant. My assistant slowly swivel his head and looked at me, and the look on our faces said, "This is it." And uh, because the the air just seemed to change when he did the scene and so forth and so on, and so I, I got I said when he left I said okay that's it I said. 
get it, you got his information, contact number, uh, call him immediately, and let's seal this up. Well, it didn't go well with the producer. He wanted me to see some of these other people, and uh, so, one of whom is on on the level now with Denzel. I won't mention his name, but there are three other three other black actors going to be ahead of him. But because I just had to make a decision quickly, uh, you know, you, you know my, my my motto, hit it and quit it, right? And this kind of thing. I, it was like that. And so when he played that play. Spike came over from uh, his days at NYU. Everybody, you had to be, everybody was coming to see that play. I mean, you, you had turned away audiences. At the very end, there were fist fights. Oh because because they, could, they, they, oh. they simply could not get in for whatever reason. The producer could not move it on to another theater in order to, because he could have made, made bucks, to, but we had to stop. But people were getting uh, fistfighted, argumentative outside the, the last few performances. Uh, Martin Luther King's uh, daughter came. Malcolm X's daughter came. I heard Muhammad Ali came. Muhammad Ali came. Uh, the specialists who, who knew who, who these men came and so forth and so on. And uh, so Spike came. And from what he said, that that I guess he'd been thinking about making that movie. He said, here he was, uh, Lord Richards. Uh, oh, no. came and all kind of, so he, he saw that and so forth and so on. I ran into, once the film was made, uh, ran into Spike. Spike, I was, I was doing an August Wilson play, uh, where were we, uh, in Pennsylvania. And uh, we met up at, at, at some sort of a social function. We all dressed up and everything else. And, uh, they were, and the highlight of that present day was going to be the, the showing of the film. And so he and I got together and we were talking about the fact that how that's what got him to use Denzel. You, you see how fortunate it was? If if I had been persuaded by the producer to go with those one, two, three choices and Denzel had not gotten in, Spike would not have seen him. Right. It, 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 all of it is about luck and being there at the right time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's what it was. Wow, you are responsible for. If you want to put it like that, the, the, the idea is that my attitude about it, as you very well know, is, is uh, if you put me in charge, then get out of my way because I'm moving. Right, right. And so forth. And I didn't want to sit around and just talk about it. So is, is that special something, the air changing, you called it, something you believe can be learned and cultivated by young artists? Oh, no. I don't know if it can be cultivated. Some people have it. I guess some people would call it presence. Right. You know this kind of thing or whatever. There are some actors who come into the room that you can feel the force. You feel that presence. It's presence, and uh, and certainly when they, when they open their mouths and start to speak, I've seen it, I've seen it from time to time. Not every person has it, but it perhaps can be developed. Uh, there are actors who are hired who don't have that, uh, who 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 manage perhaps as they evolve. Mm -hmm. You know, and get into the role, and so forth, and juice, and so forth, and so on, and become ingratiated in that, can evolve into that. Uh, but in this case, and so it's just simple. I wonder whether or not uh, he resonated with me because at that time, as I said, I was running out of, of uh, young men to play this thing. But I think not. I just think that he really, when he came in and just simply, as I said, my sister and I, we eyeballed each other quietly. And we both knew that, and I, and I have seen that assistant since. And we, we reminisce about that, mo not that day, that moment. Mm. That moment. And he said, the time he left, he said, get, get your information, you get hold of him now, seal this up now. And then I went to deal with the producer who was not happy, but I said, wait until you see the guy.
mm-hmm. and hear the guy. Uh, to to the producer's credit, uh, later on after it opened and so forth, he came to me and, and he apologized. And he said, Valley, you were right. He, he was wondrous. Look what he's become. Yeah. Uh, so what have you changed your mind on in the last few years and why? What have I changed my mind on? It could be anything from uh, life <laughs> principles or um, just anything. I think uh, when I came up, like so, so many of you all, I was you know the, the driving actor, you know, looking around for every piece of work I could get get into, you know, just get on that stage, just so forth, you know, show my stuff, and, and all this. But as the years have gone by, I'm moving more towards the directorial end of it, and so forth. I like the guy. I think in recent years, I can see better. You talk to any director, you bring this up and see what, you have to be able to see a project, to visualize the thing. So you can tell tell all of the various designers which you have in mind to see the actors and anything else. And I think that's perhaps been the change. I'm still an actor, but I don't, I don't lust after it uh, like a young actor does and so on, like you must. Certainly, when you get to this city where so, the competition is so fierce. But uh, the directing thing, I think, more so than anything, uh, I'm, I look for, I, I have a directing project after this, and I have one after this, after that. And I'm working on an, another project, uh, a major project after that. Uh, but it's all directorial in, in writing things and so forth and so on. I want to create, because when I was I was a producer also in Houston, and one of the things that really um, appealed to me is that I produced uh, Happy Ending and Day of Absence, and, I, and it was at Rice University. Uh, Felicia Richard was in it at the time. She was a, she had a maiden name at that time. And I, in the back of the back of the house, I looked up at the stage, and all these people were roaming around and so forth, and I felt a sense of accomplishment because everybody was there because I decided to do so. I dis I decided I'm going to put these plays on, and these pe- and they were being paid. Mm-hmm. I saw that they got paid. I said people are getting money. I mean, I get the money that you want, but they're getting p- paid and everything because I. So in some ways, a director producer can do that. Obviously, when an actor can't, unless that actor is also a producer. So you see now in a lot of these movies and television, so a, a number of uh, actors uh, are going at actors slash producer. Yeah. Pushing their own work, certainly in terms of, of the women. Right. And, and surely they must. For sure. Yeah. Uh, what what should an actor who wants to act in something you're directing know? You, you're going to work on a couple projects. Um, sound words for the audition room. You talk about presence. Um, if they don't have that presence, what can they do to be in an Alley Woods project? Um, especially if they're not from the major markets like New York or LA, what can they do to hone their craft or something like that? Yeah, I, I worked in a lot of regional theater from uh, from Denver to uh, was it uh, Montgomery, Alabama to Houston, to, uh, Seattle. Uh, there are any number of, of uh, fine actors who who apparently I, I spoke to them. They want no part of New York. They're content to stay where they are. Uh, they, they they realize that they, they won't staying there. They won't reach major stardom. But they they tell me that they want to have a life. You know, they want to marry, have children, have a home, not have to put up with, with these insane uh, 
of rental prices that we got in in New York and everything else and so forth. Drive a car, have a yard, and, and go to church, and, and you know, not, not be lusting after the thing that that being in the business is just just a a business. It is not just driving force of your life right. and, and things like this. And uh, but in terms of somebody coming to see me because I'm dealing with this now in terms of I'm having to cast. From a distance, I mean, I'm having to use uh, an artistic director down in Houston to do the ca ca mostly casting for me. And uh, when I'm down there, because I may they may bring me back to do something else, they some of them know me. What am I looking for? I'm just I just I, I'll have them uh, either bring in a piece from from the play that I'm going to deal with, or have them uh, bring in a, a scene of their own. Sometimes I have them do both, because then if I have them bring, bring the scene of their own, you, you you go by what did they choose and why did they choose that, hmm. and so forth. I've even even advised, for instance, some some uh, black women. I said avoid bringing in the big scene from Fences. Right, right. I said I said too many of y'all come. I said I said you, you you drive me crazy here now with this thing about the I've been here I've, I've been right here with you, Troy. You know, as I say, I, 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 I read it to death now. You see, I've been right here with that damn rest, that damn monologue, too. The, uh, so I said, what you should do, bring something in in which, okay, this may answer your question, that you don't think that the auditioner has heard. I would tell people, avoid bringing in you know, a classical piece, uh, to be or not to be, that is the question, please. Uh, avoid bringing in friends, Roman countrymen, lend me your ears, please. Bring in something which will force the auditioners to pay attention to you. Right. So forth and so forth. Or, if you, for instance, you're a woman and you want to use a piece that ordinarily associated with a man, you might do it. Bring in something which will, which will, that they will remember. You remember that, that girl who did that thing? Because it goes like that on the other side of the table. There's so many people coming for you. It's, it's all about. You remember that girl who did that? Uh, you remember that guy who who, who did that, uh, that? The other piece? No, 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 not 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 not, not that film Roman coming, but but that the other piece from that August Wilson thing that from Two Trains Running. You know, it's like that. You tell. I'm, I would advise bring pieces in, prepare pieces, which are off the beaten track, so that the auditioners will pay attention to you. And this this kind of thing, and uh, and uh, take your time. I uh, said, so, so, so many people don't know how to audition, and uh, set it up. You know, uh, they only give you like about three minutes. You can do quite a bit in in, in three minutes of what introduce the piece. I tell them to do this: turn your back on the audition during the monologue, or you, you know, turn your back before you start. They don't expect that. They don't expect that, therefore they will pay attention because you're doing something they don't expect. Start the scene, you can buy, hum, sing, get that what it is and so forth. But then when you make make a, a go around and then come back around in character to them and so forth. Come on, you may even start the scene while your back is turned, but come back around in character and, and deal with it like that. I want to... Some uh, uh, one of my uh, colleagues from the NDC days ran up to me when I had Denzel in uh, Chickens, 
and she wanted to get after me because she was she was referring to uh, directing 101, which they tell you uh, the, the, the strongest the strongest thing about an actor is to be face front, and also you can see his face and everything else and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And she was complaining, Allie, Allie, you had his back turned. And he turned back and said, well, and I said, yes, yes, I did, so-and-so. But that's not the way you go. That's, that's not the real strength. I said, no, yes, it is. Because I said this. I said, have you paid attention to Denzel's back? Have you paid attention to Denzel's walk? His strut. Now, I've heard this since that time. A lot of women, you know, <laughs> you know talk about his strut before he reached 60. Right, right. They don't talk about his strut in his back anymore. <laughs> but, but, I said, but they were talking about his strut. And everything, I said, that's what I was after. He has mm -hmm. a strong, solid back, which was, which was more powerful than his facing front at that particular part of the scene. Right. So forth and so on. So you go, so I'm saying that, that will force people to pay attention to and so forth, which is the same thing I'm doing with Horace. Right. In terms of his, that's why I said about Black Bat, his, his back, the fact that who is this mystery man who, who we, he's going to say something, he's going to do something. You pay attention to him. The idea is to do something when you come into an audition piece that gets the people to pay attention to you, to remember you. Sometimes it gets to be what you wear. Right. The colors that you wear. Clothes and so forth. I've had folk uh, talk, this, this is a, a, a white um, artistic director. He, uh, We had a meeting and, he, and I, had, I think I had on something purple, burgundy, something like this. And, and uh, he's, he come talking to me, hey, you, blood, you blokes can wear those bloody colors so well. And he paid, before we even talked, right. that had gotten his attention. So all these kinds of things, I'd say, uh, be, be aware of it. And some of these kinds of things I'm talking about are not taught in some of these classes in New York or anything else. They're, 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 they'll teach you in terms of uh, what is it, script analysis and stuff like that. But in terms of what I'm talking about here, uh, movement, uh, walk, or using your back, or knowing how to audition, I don't know if they get into that. Uh, there's a lot of classes out in Hollywood they talk about cold readings because that, that seemed to be the thing. They, they'll, they'll call you in out there, hand your script just like that, you've never seen it before, and they, and they fully expect for you to come up with a characterization wow. on the spot. So therefore, the whole proliferation of cold reading workshops and people who just teach you cold reading to, to deal with that reality. It's like that. And um, when you think of a great creative artist, who was the first person that comes to mind and why? One of what comes to mind is uh, Paul Robeson. Mm -hmm. um, he, um, he's got, remember what he said about his, um, like I looked at his work and, and the fact that how he was victimized in terms of uh, the McCarthy era and uh, he, he took his passport away, he couldn't make a living, he tried to go overseas and all that kind of thing, but he, he, he still, he hung in there, and this kind of thing. And one of his favorite lines from what he, he quoted himself saying is that his favorite line is from Shakespeare's Othello. And I said, that would be a fine line for any actor, certainly a black actor, any actor. He says, I have done the state some service, and they know it. 
I think I said that line somewhere before, and I sort of piggybacked on that. And I said this. I think I, I, it was something I sent in and I wrote in. I have done the stage some service, mm. and I know it. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. What projects are you working on next? Um, can you discuss them now? Or? I've got a... Start, I'm doing a prep work here now on a play which I'm going to stage in Houston, the title of which is called uh, In All Thy Getting, uh, The Forgotten Story of Freedman's Town. Freedman's Town is uh, also for Houston, Texas, broken up into wards, sitting among black folk, including living. And one of the, 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 the first first areas that slaves in Houston was that, that area, fourth, fourth ward, called Freedman's Town. Uh, that's why it's called Freedman's Town. And characterized by brick street streets, uh, not all the streets, but brick streets and so forth, because the the powers that be, the white powers that be, refused to pave pave the streets. Mm -hmm. So the slaves, the, the men, they went out and got some bricks and bricked the suckers down. Wow. And uh, why am I after that? In that place, that's where I'm from. I'm from that that ward. I'm from Freedman's Town, and uh, and uh, this is sort of my Valentine to that area, just like. If you remember just a few weeks ago, the Academy Awards, uh, the brother who won for uh, Moonlight, oh, yeah. they're all from with Liberty City, uh, both those guys, one who wrote the script, uh, the director, and also the head of the Alvin Ailey Company. All those three guys are from the Liberty City neighborhood. Wow. I said, so in my way, I'm from the Freedman town in Houston, Texas, and so forth. So I'm doing that, and uh, then, uh, I will be going off to the, um, the National Black Theater Festival where they're honoring me as a living legend. This, uh, second time as a living legend. So it's not just me that thinks that. Man. You know, brother, oh, come on, man. Oh, you're, an, you're an OG, man. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, I'm going to, I'll be directing some, some readings. Matter of fact, uh, hopefully I'll direct a uh, play by one of, your, one of your cast members here. And then I'm working on a... Uh, a uh, Police project. Nice. I've, I've been, I've been profoundly, as all of us have, I've been profoundly uh, uh, disturbed by what's happening to these uh, these shootings and victimizations and everything else down there. So I'm trying to put together a stage piece dealing with police and particularly black police because I know one of my uh, classmates is. He's the head of a police family, an all-black police family in Houston, in Houston, Texas. He's a retired assistant district attorney, mm -hmm. and uh, I've been interviewing him. We go and have lunch, and I'm, once I get all the information together, I'm going to see whether or not something can come from that. I'm not sure. I'm just, I'm just collecting to see if anything evolves out of that in which I can put them on stage. And let let them talk either through uh, breaking the fourth wall or having a conventionally uh, style play. So that's what's up. And how can people contact you? You have I know you're not you're not big on social media, <laughs> but you have an email. I'm a dinosaur <laughs> on social media. Come on, man. And you got you got now you know you've got my numbers on the, on the contact sheet. Right. That, that's the only way. It is. And it used to be uh, when there was such a thing as phone books. Right. I'm I'm in the phone book. I mean I I don't know. It's, it, just as Woody King is, you know, a lot of us in the phone, but we didn't duck and dodge like that. But oddly enough, we didn't get, people weren't calling us like that. They got they got to us through uh, folk like yourself, 
people who know us and, and this kind of thing and, and, and like that. And uh, Charles Weldon and, and, and Weston who, who run the NEC and all this kind of thing. But uh, this is what it was. But I would be uh, also, when I go down to Houston, I'll be dealing with somebody named Steve Carter. Who is Steve Carter? Steve Carter was at NEC when we were there. And he and I get together and we said this, and perhaps we can end it right here. And Steve said, he said, we both agree, if we're talking to somebody like yourself, you had to be there in terms of the NEC in the three years. People, as I said, Clint Eastwood, people would come. Uh, uh, you, you had movie, Robert Ryan, the movie star, would come in there. Bill Russell, the basketball player, came, came and so forth. And you, 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 I mean, you're looking out from the stage, and you you, you got to see Bill Russell. He's six foot nine, for God's sake. Yeah. And, and kind of, you, you know they're there. Ossie Davis and Ruby D, they came backstage and so forth. We were, we were there. We were there the night that King got hit. Wow. Wow. And that, and that caused almost the, the fist fight yeah. within and, the, in the company and so forth. In that. And then we were taken, some of us were taken home. I was staying up in Harlem. And we drive, you know, I jumped into a pickup truck. And we drove, time we hit 110th Street, we saw the fires. There were fires all over Harlem. Yeah, windows were being broken. We saw black people, guys, they're running down the streets, not empty-handed. They didn't just have clothes and everything. Else. They were running down the streets, and they were with sofas. Oh man, with beds, yeah. mattresses. Yeah. They had broken the windows of some of the, the local stores and so forth and so on. It was surreal. It looked like something a movie set. Somebody had just set this up and filming this thing somewhere. Right. It was. It, it, that, that was a night. And, and who in that audience that night? Amira Barak. Oh, wow. Wow, the player, Dutchman, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible, man. Well, OG, legend, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Don't you stop. Thank you, man, for coming on. And, all right, um, all right. the audience loves this. Okay, okay. That's it for this episode of The Creation Ground. I'm your host, Aaron Lloyd. Be sure to check out our Instagram for future and previous guest info and check out our YouTube channel in the show notes below. Email us with any suggestions at thecreationgrounds at gmail.com. And if you got something out of this, I'd really appreciate if you spread the word and the love. Until next time, this is Aaron Lloyd telling you that the sky is the limit. Stay creative.